Welcome to Kitchen Table Magic, a storytelling podcast featuring the amazing people of the Magic the Gathering community. I'm your host, Sam Tang. Join me and my guests as we share stories about what MTG means to us, how we got started playing Magic, the ups, the downs, the hilarious stories, and everything in between. In this episode, I'm talking to Melissa Lee, former creative writer and world builder for Magic the Gathering. Recently, Mel moved to LA and is now a senior narrative writer for Riot Games. Mel shares with us her creative process, and since new storylines are developed five to ten years ahead of time, Mel can't tell us what she worked on. But Mel did work on the single-player campaign for Duels of the Planeswalkers. Also, get on your Vorthos hats, people! We talk about some lore and the current storyline with Eldrazi, Soren, Nahiri, Innistrad, and Nicole Bolas. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Mel Lee. Hi everyone, thanks for joining me for Kitchen Table Magic. I'm your host, Sam Tang, and today I'm sitting here with Mel Lee. Mel, how are you? Oh, I'm doing pretty well, thanks. Thank you so much for having me over. Oh, thanks for having me. And this is a very special time because you're actually leaving Seattle right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm very sad about it, actually. I've been here a scant three years, but it's my favorite city that I've lived in so far. Yeah, and Mel, you are now officially the former creative designer at the Magic team at Wizards. It's true. That's another thing that I'm very sad to leave. Um, I'll be moving on as a um, narrative writer over at Riot Games. That's really exciting. And you have no idea what you're going to be doing. I have no idea. So it's very exciting on many different levels. That's very cool. Well, I'm so happy to be able to find an opportunity to sit down with you and catch you before you leave the city. And so I just wanted to get started at the beginning. Where did you grow up and when did you first encounter magic? So I grew up in Southern California. And uh, one of the rough things about living there is that if you're not into the outdoors and the beach, then uh, there's not much for you to do there. So I think it was middle school, maybe, oh gosh, or somewhere around there, where uh, my friend bought me um, my first pack of magic cards. And I remember my first rare because nowadays you would look at this card and well, you would look at it and not give it a second look. So my rare from my first pack was at a friend's birthday party and it was Rock of Care Ridges, which is just the dumbest card. It's a 3-3 three, three <laughs> flying, and the art is all right. It's really interesting and heraldic, but it's not really anything special. But man, like the the feeling that, that, that opening that pack gave me was um, something that I think still sticks with me. It was seeing all of the different fantasy characters kind of all put together. And this was back in, I believe it was either revised or fourth edition. And so back then, magic cards were kind of a mishmash of all these different fantasy themes. So I looked at them and they were kind of a lot of my favorite things all put together in in the similar like um, gameplay setting. So that was really kind of a moment for me. And um, so starting then... I got into playing Magic, um, collecting the cards both for the art and to play with a lot of my friends. And that was really kind of a turning point for me. It was finding both a hobby and a community. And really, the Magic community is something that's always pulled me back to the game throughout the years. You found the game, and then for a while, you became a scientist, a a (laughs) biomed researcher. Yeah, so I was working on uh, medical diagnostics for a while, and there was a really strong aspect to my work of how do we make something that can benefit communities of people. And I think similar to that, um, games are a lot about benefiting communities of people as well. They're certainly in very different methods, but uh, I do feel that that core of it is the same. 
That's really fascinating. And then how did you transition over on the creative team at Wizards? So um, I'd finished my postdoc up here and just kind of on on a whim, I thought it would be funny or interesting or strange to just send in an application. And I didn't really think that much would happen from it. Um, but I sent it in along with a writing sample and um, sort of miraculously, <laughs> um, I, I joined the creative team sort of first as a, a contractor and then um, a little bit later transitioned to becoming a full-time employee. That's really cool. You had an interview with Blake Rasmussen recently, and you talked about Aether Revolt and like design. And I'm curious to ask you, Mel, what do you do to bring together all these different creative avenues from art and story and fiction and fantasy and science fiction and all these different things? So I think the core of all these different areas is how do I take um, kind of a high concept idea and make it real to people? And so that's the same between cosplay, technology, or making creative for magic itself. So you have to start out and you think of like, what is the best um, and the most exciting idea for my audience? And what is it that, that I'm trying to give them? What are they looking for? And then build out steps to say like, okay, well, how am I going to create this thing? And then over time, trying to figure out like, basically go through different revisions and say, okay, well, how do I get closer to my goal? Let me iterate on it. Let me check and make sure that it is actually hitting for people. Um, so it's it's a lot of just going through that same kind of um, creative process, no matter what area that belongs to. That's really fascinating. So Doug Beyer uh, recently had a story podcast as well with Blake, and he goes through in a bit more detail some of the process that our writers use for writing storylines. And similarly, when we're going through entire like story arcs and, and planning out like which world are we going to next, what are we going to do in that world, um, and what are the cards that are going to show it, we sort of have um, a similar process of like, we'll do initial brainstorming and we'll say like, okay, well, what are the cool, exciting top lines for this place? And then we'll say like, what are some of the main events? And then we'll build out sort of the action around that. And at the same time, we're, we're doing a lot of discussions with design and development to see like, are these actually going to be exciting to play in addition to being an exciting story? We've gone through a lot of different processes as well to create our story. We'll start out with a writer's room style uh, approach to writing our episodes and we'll all, you know, gather around a table and try to brainstorm out like what are the cool character arcs for different types of characters? What are um, cool things that, that would um, be fun to see in this setting? Um, and we'll all sort of you know, gather around and talk about it. And we'll say like, okay, well, also, what are some of the the uh, highlights that we want to show in the stories themselves? And then in each individual story, each of the writers will go off and um, sort of outline their stories, present the outline back to the team, and then um, go ahead and like, flesh out the story and then just go through revision after revision. So at this part of the process, there's nothing ahead of the team in terms of the magic story. Yeah, to some degree. And actually, one of the most uh, difficult things to deal with in Wizards is trying to live in maybe up to five different sets at once and trying to sort out all the things that you're supposed to remember for each set and who's where and, and what's happening 
One of the toughest things about working at Wizards is that sometimes you'll be working as much as a decade ahead of the current time and you'll have to think about like, okay, well, what will people hopefully still be interested in in 10 years or five years? And then you have to remember, okay, what was the thing that I'm working on that's going to be out in two years? Or what's the thing that's out right now? And when you're in interviews like this, sometimes you have to remind yourself like, shoot, what were the things that we've revealed and that we haven't? So your brain is just like this this soup of secrets and, <laughs> and it's hard to keep things straight. That's amazing. Wow. Okay. So run us back a little bit like where we are. I mean, I, I got back into magic right at like Rise of the Eldrazi and it was uh, Zendikar 1. And then we got introduced to the Eldrazi. And then we were also like, how did they get freed to begin with? And there was this thing about Nicole Bolas bringing all these weirdos together, right? Yeah. So, um, a long time ago, the, uh, around Zendikar, um, the Eldrazi started to sort of stir from the slumber that they had been imprisoned in for eons within the plane of Zendikar. And their spawn started, um, being released first. So during Battle for Zendikar, the Eldrazi completely freed themselves from within the plane. And we, we went on what I'll call the Eldrazi arc for a little while, um, from Battle for Zendikar to Eldritch Moon. So during that time, we also saw our sort of main cast of characters come together, um, the heroes known as the Gatewatch. So over uh, that Eldrazi arc, we watched um, that team come together and also realized that they had to be the ones to take care of these multiplanar threats like the Eldrazi. And so it took some effort to sort of assemble themselves and also to overcome the threat. So uh, when we fast forward to Kaladesh, this is a time during which the team has been together for a little while, and but they're still kind of finding their, their footing with each other mm -hmm. and still trying to figure out how each other work. We also saw them trying to address a threat that this time wasn't really, wasn't really an interplanar threat this time, but one that was a lot more personal. So, um, so when we are constructing story arcs throughout magic, we also try to, to change up the types of stories that we're telling. So within the Eldrazi arc, we were really telling this monster story. You know, there were different aspects to how we were changing that monster story throughout the Eldrazi arc as well. So we did, um, monster arc with within um, sort of like wilderness world, which was Zendikar. And then we did it within a horror context, which created like a kind of Cthulhu type of story within Innistrad. When we got to Kaladesh, we wanted to create a story that was a little bit more personable than something that was like a monster story. So that's how we got into like a more political bend uh, with Kaladesh. It was really fascinating because when the first Innistrad block came out, it was such a huge hit. Everyone was really digging the whole gothic horror thing. It was creepy. It was very ominous. It was um, it was great because it, it gave, I mean, zombies had been around in the magic multiverse for quite a while, but it really kind of like gave the zombies like a whole new look. And, and at that point, I thought to myself, wow, okay, so Innistrad is the creepy set. I didn't know that there could be another creepy set, but the funny thing <laughs> is that when we returned to Innistrad for Eldritch Moon, we got the creepy set again. And I was just like, I wonder how that's going to work. Are we going to get more creepiness? It did work because we had crazy flying spaghetti monsters and the, <laughs> and the zombies end up saving the day. So it's very fascinating how these different themes get to mix together in that way. 
Yeah, I was really charmed by the heroic zombie theme in uh, in Shadows and in EMN. Um, yeah, I, I like to think that there are a whole bunch of different stories that, you know, that, that are yet to be told for magic. And one of the things that we try to do when we're going to new worlds is to try to make sure that we can give different types of stories to players. That's fascinating. Mel, I also wanted to ask you about what are some of your either fantasy or your science fiction influences in your creative process? Um, so I, I have quite a few. Um, so let's see. Um, certainly I, I really love comics and animation, um, on, let's see, on sort of the Euro comic side, there's Mobius, there's Jorodowski, um, from, uh, from more, uh, Japanese roots. Uh, of course there's Miyazaki and Otomo who did, um, the Akira series. Um, and there's some really great, um, I guess like what I would call modern American, um, animation going on right now. Um, I'm a big fan of Steven Universe and Adventure Time. And I know those are kind of like on the lighter side too, but it, it's a lot of fun to see, uh, shows like that that are able to hit wide ranges of audiences. In terms of uh, actual like long form fiction, I think um, Terry Pratchett, Jonathan Stroud, um, Hickman and Weiss, who did the original Dragonlance series, they're all very good at writing what I would call like addictive episodic fiction. Mm -hmm. So they create these very compelling worlds and their, their novels really encourage their readers to come back for more. And, um, they're, they're on a lighter side. Like they're not what you'd think of as literature, but there's something about them that just make, make them, uh, their, their characters and their worlds are just so much fun to be around and their adventures are really engaging. Um, and then in terms of, you know, just, just actual prose, I think that, um, Borges and, uh, Nabokov are just some of the best writers out there for their prose and their playfulness with language. So I really want to ask you, the things that you have been working on are not out yet for magic, right? <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, a lot of them aren't out yet. So I joined around BFZ, which was Gosh, almost exactly two years ago. So because of the, uh, I guess, like pipeline time that uh, Magic takes for each of our products um, will be released in the next couple of years, probably. Mm -hmm. Got it. So we'll probably have to do a part two once they're released <laughs> so that I can ask you exactly the specific things that went on in it. But I completely understand and I respect that. A few of the projects that I have worked on in the past is I've been the creative lead for uh, Magic's free-to-play digital game, Magic Duels, um, ever since Battle for Zendikar up until the, the current expansion. So that one was actually a lot of fun to put together. So what we do in the single-player campaign is that I try to take all of the cards within the new set and try to tie them into a cohesive storyline. So in the cards themselves, we have our, you know, five main story events. And our job in duels was to create theme decks that both taught the player how to play all the new mechanics and also just walked you through the story and made you feel like you were part of Innistrad or Kaladesh or um, Zendikar. And th that was actually a whole lot of fun to put together because it's really the culmination of what we've been trying to do in stories since Battle for Zendikar is really to make the player feel like they're playing through parts of the story. And magic as a game is so interesting to try to make stories out of because if you play a, a traditional video game like a Mass Effect or like Halo or yeah, Call of Duty or, or Halo or Call of Duty, they're able to put you in a 
very controlled single player environment where they will, you know, program out pretty precisely how you're supposed to interact with the things around you, all of the other NPCs that you're going to see. But for magic, what we try to do is we try to give you slightly more open-ended um, stories that, that you really construct yourself through deck building. So for Magic Duels, we had to tell a story, but kind of indirectly and using cards, which were, you know, like each card is kind of a piece of a story, but they're not nearly as cohesive as in a video game where you have the entire character. In Magic, you could have the character who's one card as a creature and the actions that the character does are separate cards. So it, it was this really complicated puzzle of putting together this experience for a player that makes them feel like they are a certain character or a certain faction within the world and getting you into understanding how, uh, how the story team put together their story and, and making you feel like you're going through it. At the same time, that was a lot of fun, too, because uh, we got to um, commission some of the special story art pieces. So if, um, for example, when you play duels and you see the story screen interstitials, those are special pieces of art that we got to uh, commission out. And uh, basically, I would I would look at the entire campaign and I would say, oh, OK, wouldn't it be great if we had a piece of art that showed, you know, Nahiri actually being imprisoned in the hell vault? Or wouldn't it be great if we actually saw Chandra and Gideon as their um, in the swoop thopter and they're going to try to destroy Tezzeret's plans. Um, so things like that where you're you're looking at the entire narrative that the story team has and trying to put together those last few important parts to make it all feel cohesive. Um, so that was a big challenge and it was a whole lot of fun as well. There was a lot of like game design and storytelling that went into it. That's fascinating. I heard a little tidbit earlier, and I want to jump back to it and take a quick aside. You said that you wanted to highlight artwork about Nahiri being imprisoned in the Hell Vault. From a story standpoint, I wasn't very clear. Was Nahiri imprisoned in the Hell Vault? So um, this goes back to one of our stories. I believe it was by Kelly Diggs. And um, so what happened was that... Um, so do you know the story of Soren and Nahiri? A little bit. I know that they, together with Ugin, imprisoned the Eldrazi to begin with. Yeah, they, they originally imprisoned the Eldrazi in Zendikar, and Nahiri was from Zendikar. And so there was a certain point um, during Rise of the Eldrazi when suddenly the bonds of that Eldrazi prison sort of loosened a bit over time because it had been eons since they had been imprisoned. And so during that time, um, Nahiri put out a distress call, basically, and she needed to, uh, she was trying to get together um, the people who had originally imprisoned the Eldrazi and ask them to help her um, round up the Eldrazi and re-imprison them to uh, make Zendikar safe. Um, so what happened was that um, basically Soren... Uh, Soren is a man who, <laughs> in a very white and black way, is uh, principled but very selfish as well. And uh, Soren didn't um, didn't respond to Nahiri's distress call. Nahiri had just assumed that you know something terrible had happened to him, and so Soren never arrived to assist her with re-imprisoning the Eldrazi. And um, Nahiri went to go confront him about this um, after she had taken pains to um, re-imprison the Eldrazi. And um, Soren responded that um, he just wasn't able to at the time and it wasn't a big priority for him. 
realizing that Nahiri had sacrificed a lot in order to imprison the Eldrazi in the first place, she was kind of justifiably upset with him. Right. So at that point, um, the two of them had a duel, basically. And uh, that was when Soren imprisoned her within the Hell Vault um, for some time. So if Soren imprisoned Nahiri in the Hell Vault, why did Soren put Grizzlebrand and Avacyn in the Hell Vault? So the Hell Vault was basically a place where anything that was bothering Innistrad would be put. And so <laughs> Soren was concerned that this angry planeswalker was going to take her revenge for his not being there when she was in trouble. And so he imprisoned her there. And so she she basically endured another thousand years or so trapped within the Hell Vault with a lot of other monsters and other unsavory denizens of Innistrad who were also captured there. Um, until um, when uh, Liliana had actually arranged for the Hell Vault to be destroyed. And so that let everything out, including Nahiri. Because Soren hadn't helped her in the first place, she decided the best revenge would be to unleash the Eldrazi on Innistrad. So it was a little bit poetic that Nahiri got her revenge on Soren by imprisoning him in stone after he had imprisoned her in stone. Mel, I also wanted to ask you, are there times in the story where you will put little pieces of yourself into the characters that you're developing? Um, so probably my favorite storyline to write was the Shadows of Her Innistrad Drownyard Temple episode. So this was the first time we had actually heard the voice of Tamio, um, the Moon Sage, and we had first heard from her in this episode just through her writing. So we hadn't actually been introduced to her as um, as a character yet, and we hadn't heard her spoken voice. Um, but we did have her written voice. And so Tamio is a very unique character in the sense that she roams the multiverse, but she's not really looking for a fight. She's very blue aligned and uh, she she's interested in studying and she's interested in observing. So she she actually is a field researcher in Eldritch Moon. After I saw that title line, I wanted to imbue her with a lot of the feeling of being a researcher and being someone who's fascinated by the world in a somewhat obsessive kind of way, similar to the way that Jace was feeling in that episode where he was constantly looking for clues and never able to figure things out. So in Jace's case, that's something that was driving him crazy. In Tamio's case, I feel like that's something that really excites her and gets her moving from plane to plane. And it's more her constant motivation for finding new information that really motivates her planeswalking. And that's something that's very different from a lot of our characters. And it's it's something that I, I guess I feel pretty intensely. And I think that is a very human thing to do. It's, it's the need to learn and to keep growing. And I think it's what keeps magic players coming back for more. It's that there's this ever-expanding world of people and places and new game mechanics that's a lot of fun to explore. That's really fascinating. I think it's important that as players are looking at the storyline and we get to interact with all of these great characters that as a community, we not forget that someone came up with these. And there are pieces of other community members in these characters. There has to be a part of yourself, Mel, in some of these characters. And you know, hopefully we will see more of them in the years to come in these new sets. Yeah, Magic has such a fantastic community. And I, I, I think that 
you know, even apart from our creative team, we take some pains to try to look at our community themselves and, and try to show a wide variety of different personalities that, you know, resonate with our audience and remind them of aspects of themselves. Um, I think that just overall, we're, we're always looking to make a wide roster of different types of personalities and different types of looks and abilities as well. Would it be safe to say, Mel, that you are a Vorthos? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think I'm definitely a Vorthos. Um, I think just that's a prerequisite for being on the Magic Story team. Magic has such an incredibly rich history and 20 years of storytelling. So it's really just a, a rabbit hole that you can very easily fall down. And, you know, it's, it's a lot of fun to do so. <laughs> Is there a way, Mel, that you would encourage the community to play magic in more of a Vorthos kind of a way? Is there maybe a, a format or some constraints that you could provide? Certainly, you could just play through the dual single player, which, as I said before, is probably one of the most pure expressions of story that we have from block to block. And that I think encompasses a lot of the work that the entire team tries to do for each of the um, settings that we go to. On the other hand, um, my team and I really love to play Commander because that's really a format where you can pick a central character and then pick all the cards around that character that work well with it or a certain type of theme. And um, every time we play games with each other, I think especially in Commander because it's such a complex format, you create stories with your friends. And really, that's that's the fun of magic to me. I think that whether you're a Vorthos or not in, in the very traditional sense of I like the story the storyline that magic has laid out for me I think that a big part of playing magic is being able to tell a story with you and whoever you're playing with or against and the story is whatever happens in your game and I think it's really important that people are able to tell the story that they want and be able to play through the story that that really resonates with them. That's a big part of magic and what makes magic special. There's all kinds of games out there that pick a theme or a type of gameplay for you. And really in magic, you pick what that thing is that you like to do. That's really interesting. So Mel, we're going to Amonkhet next and we know mm -hmm. Nicole Bolas is there. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else that we can know? Other than it's in the desert and there might be mummies. Well, I know that so far there have been the previews for these very large figures with animal heads. Right. And they look like gods to me. They might. They might. <laughs> they might. Well, I'm looking forward <laughs> to those things. And I wonder what other types they will. Will they be indestructible enchantment creatures again? Who knows? Will they be artifact creature things? Will they be land creature things? I don't know. And I hope they have weapons, right? I'm just going to be shrugging into this microphone. <laughs> okay. Well, she's shrugging into the microphone. So, okay. Well, I mean, Almanket is not that far off, but uh, that was a, one of the original uh, reasons why I wanted to reach out to you through Wizards was because I wanted to coincide the release of Almanket with these things, but now since you're not on it, we can't talk about it, but that's totally understandable. Well, I will say that I, I know that this product has already been announced. Um, I, I did do the creative for archenemy Nicole Bolas, so I'm just going to say that we do know that might be on the horizon soon. And we have certainly seen some signs of Bolas on Amonkhet. Um, large horns or horn-like structures I've seen in a lot of places. 
I, okay, so I've really wanted to ask you this because you're part of the creative team. On a scale of one to 10, 10 being the most jerkish, how much of a jerk is Nicole Bolas? So, Nicole Bolas is a very interesting kind of jerk. We have a large lineup of heroes in Magic, and we also have a large lineup of villains. And Nicole Bolas is a very specific kind of villain. So, Bolas isn't the kind of guy who would just directly, like, push you around. He's he's not into that. That's a little lowbrow. It's a little bit beneath him. So, what Bolas likes to do is create plans. He likes to plan out for the future. And sometimes, I mean, he is a very long-lived Elder Dragon. So he has a long time to plan things out. And there's nothing that Bolas likes more than masterminding a successful plan. Sometimes these plans can span centuries or millennia. Um, Bolas is a pretty patient guy, and he's willing to wait if the payoff is victory. So I think we can all agree that uh, Bolas is a pretty big jerk. We just have to figure out how much of a jerk he is in this upcoming block. Yeah, Bolas is certainly one of our main villains within Magic. He's ancient and has been around for quite some time, um, both on Dominaria, now a plane away in Amonkhet. And Bolas is a planeswalker, so we don't know how many other planes he's been to or what kind of forces or power he has amassed in the meantime. Mel, does Bolas have any connection with the Phyrexians? That's another question I currently can't answer. Okay. Well, from my standpoint, he did send Tezzeret deep within New Phyrexia, the core, to go spying around and go looking for things. So... I think Bolas is interested in them, but I don't know if Bolas actually has any connection with them. He also has minions almost everywhere. Hmm. So I think it's safe to assume that if there is a world out there that Bolas knows about, um, he would like to have someone there to recon what's going on. So, I mean, the same could be said for Sarkon, um, who had been uh, Bolas's agent as well, but on a different plane. Mm-hmm. That's right. And I'm also curious about whether or not if Bolas knew where the Eldrazi originally came from. Who could know? Okay. Okay. Lots more shrugging into the mic here. Okay. Wonderful. Mel, should I ask you some rapid fire questions? Go right ahead. Okay. I'm going to prepare myself. All right. I'm mentally prepared. Okay. Perfect. Okay. Mel, rapid fire question number one. Of the five colors of magic, white, blue, black, red, and green, which is your favorite color and why? I would probably say red because it has the most range of any other color. So red is the color of fury, but also of passion. And there's so much about red that we haven't really historically gotten as much into that I think is really fertile ground for exploring. Very recently, we've started to see some of the different sides of red. So previously, we thought things about red like, oh, well, red can't have artifacts. But then when we were in Kaladesh, we saw artificers who were very passionate people who cared about each other in the community. And that was something that, and they were red characters um, due to their personalities. So I think there's a lot about red that has yet to be explored. And it's not just anger and fury, which are, you know, certainly very easy to implement in a game design sense. Um, but there's also a lot of sort of deeper emotion there. Hmm, interesting. And Mel, would you ever pair red with another color combination? Oh, absolutely. I think red and blue is my favorite combination. They're both thinking and feeling. I mean, that's a pretty fascinating archetype right there. 
It's interesting because red and blue is is it, but when you mix them together, as we saw in Return to Ravnica and the Guilds, you just didn't get some crazy maniacal, <laughs> terrible guild. You had a guild that was incredibly intelligent and experimental and very forward-thinking. Yeah, I think actually a lot of Kaladesh was very red and blue. That was more of an expression of red as being compassionate than red as being destructive. And red has both of those within them. And it's sort of like stretching the boundaries of what we think of when we think of red. Mel, rapid fire question number two. If you could change something about Magic the Gathering, what would it be? So this is an interesting question because I feel like magic changes all the time and that's what makes it fascinating to play. Um, so gosh, I, I think it's, I don't think I can really offer an answer to this right now because magic is a constantly evolving game and it's taking us in all kinds of different places right now. I would agree. There are a lot of things that are happening today that I didn't think would happen seven years ago. <laughs> and in my interview with Mark Rosewater, he said, I can't tell you anything, but our objective was to make you say, wow, and then wow again, and then wow again. So yeah, I'm very excited. For yeah. Wow and again. I mean, in terms of magic story, it's, it's so exciting being part of the creative team because we're constantly trying to take you to those new adventures and introduce you to new people. So I would hope that it wouldn't get to the point where I would say, oh my gosh, this is the thing I don't like about magic because I I think that's something that we're constantly evaluating on the creative team and trying to figure out how to improve and how to make things better. And certainly one of the things that Wizards excels in and I, I'm, I'm very happy about is their ability to listen to the community because it's something that we really value and that I think is, is one of the aspects that makes magic such a fun game to play. It's the people that you meet and it's it's the things that they believe in. So we try really hard to listen to them and to try to figure out what they think would be the best and how we can best implement it. Mel, question number three, if you could give something to every Magic player, what would it be? So I'm really passionate about free-to-play games. And I think the reason that I love duels so much is because it offers every player the ability to play Magic. And I think that just offering people the ability to play and to welcome everybody in and say, hey, we've made this game for you and we just really want you to come and enjoy it. That's something I really respect about duels and about that um, expression of our game. Question number four, what do you see in the future of Magic the Gathering? So, I mean, <laughs> to some degree, I think when uh, when you're interviewing employees, they kind <laughs> of know the future. Right. Um, so uh, there are a lot of exciting things coming up in the future. Um, I'm certainly excited to see the projects that I've been creative lead for finally come out and hit the public. And I think that one of the hardest things to do is certainly like finishing your work and then just twiddling your thumbs and waiting for the thing that you really care about to be released. So I'm certainly waiting for all of the things that I've been working on to um, be enjoyed by players. And really, there's no better feeling than being a creator and watching people enjoy the things that you've worked on. That's just really something. Okay. So I think we can agree that what Mel sees in the future is that there is a future for Magic the Gathering. <laughs> oh, <and> definitely. <laughs> definitely. There's a lot of really exciting things on the horizon. And I'm excited for, you know, one, two, three more years later and all the things that are going to be happening. That's great. 
And Mel, last, do you have any asks or requests of the listening audience? This is going to sound weird, but uh, Magic Community, I love you guys. And you're an amazing and very unique collection of people. And even though I'm, I'm not officially a Wizards of the Coast member anymore, I certainly look forward to playing a lot of Magic just because of the community and the people that I meet through it. So I guess thank you and thanks to other people within the community for what you guys have built. Mel, is there anywhere that you'd like people to find you in social media? Um, if you'd like, uh, I'm on Twitter as at S Melissa Lee and I'm Melissa Lee on Facebook. Um, and on Tumblr, I'm Ethereum sculptor. Uh, but <laughs> all of these, I'm not always the best person at updating things, but certainly if you want to shoot me a question or just, uh, send a comment or something, um, I'll be over there. Mel, thank you so much for finding time to sit down with me today in your busy schedule. I know you are in the process of going down to LA where you'll be joining Riot Games on their narrative team. I just wanted to thank you for all of the energy and heart and spirit that you've put into this community with your beautiful cosplay and also your hard work building worlds for us and then developing a story for us so that millions of players can enjoy the game. And I know that you've made significant contributions to the story that we see right now and also stories that will be coming out in the future. So so, you know, we are sad to see you go, but this is not, this is just a temporary goodbye. It's not a forever farewell. I think that we're going to be very, very happy to see all the new sets that are going to be coming out and we'll be thinking of you. Oh, thanks, Sam. Yeah, um, I can't wait to see them come out myself. And I hope you all enjoy uh, <laughs> unnamed products <laughs> when they finally reach you. Um, yeah, and thanks so much for having me. And uh, and for new players out there, I hope you get to play some of the dual single player campaigns and uh, get to experience all of the story elements put together. Much thanks to Mel for sitting down with me in the middle of her busy day of packing. Go say hi to Mel on Twitter, at SMelissaLee. Also, you can check out her blog, ethereumsculptor.tumblr.com. Mel has some great cosplay, and she also makes some cool things like ether ray guns and spinny thopter cakes. Photos of her Sarkon cosplay are going to be at kitchentablemagic.org. Also, special thanks to ZZ Photography for allowing us to use a photo of Mel's Sarkon cosplay. Check out more photos of ZZ Photography at facebook.com slash ZZ Photography. I also want to thank and acknowledge Mel again for her work creating worlds for the Magic the Gathering multiverse. I'm excited to see her work in future sets. Also, best of luck at Riot Games. Hmm, I wonder what Riot is going to be doing with a creative narrative writer. Perhaps a new game? Perhaps an MMO in the League of Legends storyline? Anywho's, I'm just excited for Amonkhet that's about to be released. We'll find out soon just how much of a jerk Nicole Bolas really is. This episode of Kitchen Table Magic is brought to you by Paragon City Games. Last week, Paragon City Games sent me a set of die-hard metal dice in raw steel red for a giveaway. I asked you to comment on my Facebook giveaway post about what you think an upcoming game store like Paragon City Games should do to support players in the local gaming community. Your responses are wonderful, and I'd like to read a few of them on air. Paul wrote, I would love to see stores build a strong relationship with other stores in the region for scheduling referrals, and the like. Stores are a part of our community, and the stronger the relationship between stores, the better it is for players. I really like that one. Robin wrote, I would have loved some classes on how to build a decent deck, especially how to build one with the cards I have, rather than what cards to buy. James wrote, Be sure to employ a judge or organizer for your events who is friendly, flexible, and sensitive to the broad range of players you will attract. 
Choose someone you trust and allow them to have the freedom to make store decisions on the fly that serves your customer service needs. Adrian wrote, have a series of local tourneys where the prizes are modern staples rather than packs or money. This should keep the hyper-competitive away and attract a more casual crowd. Jordan wrote, ask players for input on the events they'd like to see. Hold events at various times throughout the week. Not everyone has a schedule that accommodates early afternoon or early evening events. Many other listeners said that having a good atmosphere is important and also having private rooms to rent out would be great. And now for the winner, chosen at random is, drum roll please, Kate. Congratulations, Kate. You are our lucky winner. Kate wrote, cater to the younger generation. I see young kids at my local shop all the time and they get intimidated by the adults who are very serious or exclusionary. Maybe host game nights for 13 and unders or have easy to play decks on hand so that kids can learn to play with their parents or friends without memorizing tons of mechanics. Congratulations, Kate. You're our lucky winner. I'll be reaching out to you soon on Facebook to send you the RPG set of Die Hard Metal Dice in Raw Steel Red. Thank you, everyone, for sharing your thoughts about how game stores can help build community. And many thanks to Paragon City Games for giving me the opportunity to do a giveaway. Remember, they're streaming every week at twitch.tv slash paragoncitygames. Also, be sure to spread the love and give them a like on their Facebook page. I want to thank all of my Patreon supporters, Brian, Marcus, James, and Alexander. It's the generosity of my listeners that keeps this show going. Go check out patreon.com slash kitchen table magic where I've spruced up the page with new graphics. Also, Patreon insiders get access to behind the scenes show notes for each interview I've done. And you'll be able to ask me questions and connect with me directly about the show. Patreon supporters also get access to special gifts and mementos from my interviews. Thanks to everyone for listening to this week's show. Connect with me on social. I'm on Facebook.com slash Kitchen Table Magic Podcast and on Twitter at KTM Podcast. The show is on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and MTGCast.com. Coming up in the next episode of Kitchen Table Magic, I've got a very special episode for you and I'll be releasing it this Saturday. Be on the lookout for this special episode on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and wherever you get podcasts. See you next time.